turn in our Bibles today to Mark's Gospel in chapter 6, thinking today together of Christian discipleship and sacrifice. Mark 6, verses 14 to 29. <clears throat> the story today of the execution of John the Baptist is situated at the place Macarius, a Hasmonean hilltop palace and desert fortress on the eastern side of the Dead Sea, built in 90 BC, destroyed in 57 BC, rebuilt by Herod in 30 BC. The hilltop is over 3,000 feet and surrounded by deep ravines, providing good protection. Other hilltop fortresses could be seen from Macarius, and a signal could be sent to them in the event of an attack. The name Macarius means sword. The full title of the location is Muckawir Castle. A hundred foot by a sixty foot wall was built on the hilltop, and the palace of Herod was located inside of it. The Romans destroyed the fortress in 72 AD. Excavations begun there in 1968. According to Josephus, you're wondering why all this information, according to Josephus, it was the location of the imprisonment and the execution of John the Baptist. Mark is using the sandwich technique here in chapter 6 once again to incorporate teaching about discipleship. The disciples are sent on a mission in verses 7 to 12. They have company, two by two, power, authority from Jesus, and a message, people should repent. And their example and that example of commission still stands for us today, as we've already thought. We also are to engage in mission and evangelism. And one of the racks in the ports there is to facilitate us in fulfilling that Jesus-given mission. At the very center of their message, as verse 12 indicates, is the message of repentance. That all of us are sinners before Almighty God. And that God summons us to turn away from our sins with sorrow of it, to acknowledge them specifically before Almighty God and to receive his forgiveness through his son Jesus Christ who has died on the cross for sins. Such a message of repentance is not always well received by unbelievers as verse 11 of chapter 6 indicated and our own experience has borne out. And so here in this story is a case study of a servant of Jesus summoning another individual to repent and to come to Jesus for forgiveness and being rejected for that faithful discipleship. This is the way this case study illustrates of the followers of Jesus. Christian discipleship involves sacrifice. Mark 8.34 will state, If anyone will come after me, Jesus says, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. There are sacrifices to be made. 
in following Jesus. There are sorrows to be felt as disciples of Jesus as we follow him and witness for him. And Mark really emphasizes this story. This is not a story to be passed over, to be considered lightly, to be known superficially. He takes his time over this, and this is indicated by Mark giving almost double the space that Matthew gives to this story of John's execution. Matthew gives 136 words, Mark 249 words to this story. It's an important message for Mark and his readers suffering in the city of Rome. Important message for us suffering in our 21st century society. And three principles about Christian discipleship and sacrifice. Three take-home teachings for us to go with us today and talk over lunch and think about on Wednesday morning emerge from this account. Sacrificial discipleship involves rebuking. Sacrificial discipleship involves suffering. Sacrificial discipleship involves vindicating. Firstly, let's, let's think together of sacrificial discipleship involving rebuking in verses 17 and 18. King Herod mentioned in verse 14 as Herod's Antipas, the ruler or tetrarch of Galilee and Perea from 4 BC to 39 AD, a long reign for a Herod. He was the ruler of a fourth part, one quarter of the land of Palestine. And that's because his father, Herod the Great, had four sons. And when it came to near his death, his father divided up Palestine into four segments. Herod Antipas was given Galilee and Perea. Herod married his brother, Herod Philip's, Herod Philip's wife, Herodias, who was also Herod Antipas's niece. To marry her, he had to get rid of his own wife, who was the daughter of the king of Petra. Now, the king of Petra was not pleased about this, as you could imagine. And he took on Herod Antipas in a battle, so enraged. That's the way it went then. If you were a king and you were shunned or snubbed, he took him on in a battle with, with, with their armies. And the king of Petra defeated Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas was humbled, went home with his tail between his legs. He, he was smarting. And then... Added to that insult was this wilderness preacher, John, saying to him, you're wrong in taking your brother's wife. And Herod was livid and put John in prison. Leviticus 18.16, Leviticus 20.21 20, clearly state you shall not marry your brother's wife. John, in his criticism of Herod Antipas, would have been backed by the populace of Galilee and Perea. They didn't like this man. He was cruel, brutal, and imposed heavy taxes on them. They were all behind John. And Herod could see there's a revolt arising here. They laid hold on the ringleader, as he thought, and put him in the prison in Macarius. What an action of John. 
What an exemplary action of John. Herod was not a John's congregation. Herod was a state ruler. John didn't have to get involved in this matter. But Christian discipleship makes us speak out to the world around us to defend the honor of Jesus. James Edwards comments on John's action here. There were no sacred cows in his herds. He did not read the polls before speaking and acting. He protected no special interests. Keir Stammer is repeatedly attacking the Prime Minister's views and actions, whether it's the issue about the NHS, strikes, the economy, immigrants, devolution, taxation. Every decision of the PM is scrutinised and criticised by Stammer. But that's his role within UK government. He's only doing his job as disciples of Jesus. Part of our role is to rebuke those around us who do not live as Jesus wants us to live. To say to those in our community and workplace with love and care and humility what you're doing is not right. We uphold and promote and commend the Ten Commandments in our lives and situation because our colleagues and neighbours are also under these Ten Commandments. They have a duty to live their lives according to God's law. And Christian disciples will speak out and tell the world, as John does here, about the ways of God. Whatever the repercussions, whatever the comeback, Christian discipleship involves rebuking. And in our time, there's an abundance of opportunity for us to do this. Identity, abortion, euthanasia, drugs, truth, gender, marriage. We're called to speak out, to take a stand, to be unashamedly on the side of Jesus as John was here. Discipleship involves an interest in the lives and behaviors of other people. 612, the message of the disciples was they went out and preached that men should repent. They called on people to change and alter their life. They broke into communities. John is one example of doing this. The booklets on the the pastoral rack are just to help you to do this better. That colleague of yours who loses their temper and shouts loudly and intimidates other people in your workplace. That colleague who is always late and and doesn't put in a a shift in their workplace. Those booklets will, will help you wisely, carefully, humbly address those issues. Christian parents at times 
will be called in faithfulness to rebuke their children. Elders will be called at times to rebuke church members to point out their behavior that it is wrong with meekness, with humility, with tears, with love. Sacrificial discipleship involves at times rebuking. And for some of us it's easy. But for most of us it's really, really hard. Sacrificial discipleship involves rebuking. Secondly, sacrificial discipleship involves suffering. And in John the Baptist's experience, there were multiple levels of suffering, weren't there? One level was the grudge that Herodias bore against John. See in verse 19, Herodias had a grudge against him for two years, the likelihood of the time he was in Macarius prison, in this fortress, hilltop prison. She held a grudge against him. She's angered by John's rebuke. She's the prime mover behind this story and the execution of this prophet. In contrast to Herod, who listened to John preaching within his palace and Macarius, who wondered about this man. She was shrewd and calculating, Edward says. T.W. Manson puts it like this. Herodias felt that the only place where her marriage certificate could safely be written was on the back of the death warrant of John the Baptist. A grudge was held against John. Imprisonment was another level of suffering that he experienced. Verse 17, Herod sent and seized John and bound him in prison. All kinds of rumors were going around about John's behavior and action. What was he, the beginnings of a, a, a revolt against Herod's rule and, and, and to, to seek to stay that and quell that, he, he takes this leader into the fortress at Macarius. And John is there. And it gets to him. And Matthew 11 gives us an insight into the doubts that John has about the identity of Jesus, sending his disciples to Jesus to ask him, are you the promised one who should come? A third level of suffering for John was threat. Verse 19, Herodias wanted to put him to death. John wasn't suddenly killed in battle. His life wasn't ended in an accident without much thought and anticipation, but rather day after day. John woke up to, to wonder, would he hear the thump of the boots of the executioner coming down the corridor to take his life? He lived constantly under this knowledge that Herodias wanted to end his life. And then his life was ended. Herod tried to mimic the, the emperor who had lavish celebrations on his birthday. So Herod Antipas invited the, the, the high flyers, the upper classes from Galilee uh, to this fortress location on the east of the Dead Sea. And they came and, and, and at that party, Salome, uh, his, uh, the, the daughter of Herodias, uh, danced provocatively probably before the gathered crowds 
and the males of the party delighted in this and Herod in a state of intoxication and emotion he promised to her up to half of the kingdom something he could never deliver because Rome would never allow him to give away an inch of his land but he promised it more than once as the text indicates in verse 26 his oaths it was something that he did repeatedly in the spur of the moment in the atmosphere of that party and those around him would never allow him to go back on his promise and so the executioner the bodyguard the special soldier as the word means in verse 27 it was sent down to the prison and John was executed Sacrificial discipleship involves suffering, the grudge, the threat, the imprisonment, and death. What do you think of the response of Gary Lineker to the rebuke by the BBC that he should not comment on political matters? He's dug in his heels on this issue and claims he's going to continue to do it. I, I think he's wrong and he should keep out of politics. But the point is, people don't take rebuke well. We don't take rebuke well. Think of yourself and the times your parents have rebuked you. An elder perhaps has spoken to your friend, has pointed out a fault among you. How defensive we get. Maybe angry. How dare they criticize me? The proper response, as we know in our heads, is to consider the criticism, to see if there's any element of truth in it, to take the good even out of this heavy, over-the-top criticism and change. And so... In us giving a rebuke, we need to do it with care and sensitivity. And Jesus gives us that brilliant illustration of rebuking one another within the congregation or within our family to do it as if we're taking the speck out of someone else's eye. That part of the body that's so sensitive, that's so difficult to, to get at without injury or, or discomfort. That is the sensitivity and the care that should characterize any rebuke that we offer to anyone else. So if your colleague at work is going to fly off the handle because of you pointing out some weakness in their life, don't let them fly off the handle because of the way you do it. Not only do it, say the right thing. But say it in the right way. We'll not lose our lives by rebuking others. We'll not be thrown into prison by rebuking others. But others will hold a grudge against us. Others will threaten us. If we point out flaws in their life, if we call them to evangelical repentance from their sins, and sacrificial discipleship does involve suffering. But thirdly, sacrificial discipleship involves vindicating John, the executed, John, the sufferer, John, the disciple, was vindicated. He was vindicated, first of all, by the world. Here is Herod, Antipas, and he says of Jesus, John, verse 16, whom I beheaded, has been raised. 
What, what a vindication for the life, for the character of John. Herod could see in Jesus the very same qualities that he saw in John, that he scrutinized for two years in his palace in Macarius. A humble man, a faithful man, a man of truth and righteousness and love and compassion and holiness. There's John, and that's the same characteristics in Jesus. What a vindication of John's character. And sometimes the world vindicates those whom they have persecuted, derided, and marginalized. The church vindicated John in verse 29. His disciples, the disciples of John, when they heard of his death, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. They risked Herod's wrath. They risked also being imprisoned and marginalized. But they recognized the value of John, the godliness of John, the prophecies about John in the book of Malachi that were fulfilled in his life, the role that he played, the character that he lived. And they came like David looking after the body of Saul, like Nicodemus and Joseph looking after the body of Jesus, like the church looking after the body of Stephen. They came. They gave him a dignified and proper funeral, vindicating this man. But above Herod, above the church, was the vindication by Jesus. Jesus, when John was imprisoned, said in Matthew 11 and verse 11, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Here is Jesus vindicating his servant, speaking in his defense. Herodias is maligning him. Herod is imprisoning him. But so what? Jesus is vindicating him. And what Jesus did for John, he will do for all of us who are his disciples. The last day he will stand alongside and among his disciples and before God and before the angels and before the world. He will own us as his people, as his own. Like John, we may be rejected now. We may suffer for witnessing and living for Christ now. But in the final judgment, we will be vindicated It's a great boost to us in a a meeting, in a conference, in a gathering, when we are propounding a view which others are opposing and deriding and picking holes in, when the CEO, when the chairman backs our idea and says, yes, this is the way the company should go. This is the decision that we should take. What a boost for us. And the chief executive supports our idea. That's the perspective that we're to have, the comfort and the assurance That our message of repentance, our Christian values, which are sometimes rejected and others get annoyed at when we promote them and live them, Jesus approves. And he will vindicate his people at the last day. Sometimes the world recognizes the virtues of Jesus in us. They're attracted to our humility, our love, our generosity, our kindness. Sometimes the church shows appreciation for the service that we might do. But above all, Jesus 
recognizes, sees, and vindicates his disciples. Sacrificial discipleship will be vindicated. So this story, which Mark considers really important, gives extensive time to. It's more than an account of a 30-year-old, powerful, first-century preacher dying for his God and Savior. It gives us insight into Christian discipleship. And the sacrifices sometimes involved, James Desert comments, John's martyrdom exemplifies the consequences of following Jesus in a world of greed, decadence, power, and wealth. Sandwiched between the sending of Jesus' disciples and the return of Jesus' disciples is the story of John indicating, teaching them and us that there will be sacrifice, there will be a cost as we live in the world and witness and serve our master. But there's far more here, isn't there? Not only is this foreshadowing suffering discipleship, this paragraph is foreshadowing the suffering saviour. One writer says we could consider this paragraph to be Mark's first passion narrative. In this wonderful account of John's death, we see foreshadowed Jesus' death. Both are young. Both are condemned by Roman officials, driven on by the greed and and desires of other people. This is where we find our comfort and rest today. Because often, We've not been engaged in sacrificial discipleship. Often we have bitter lip when we should have spoken. Often we have said nothing when we should have rebuked just to retain a friendship. We come today recognizing our failures to the one who at the age of 33 died outside of Jerusalem for our redemption and salvation. 